A number of years ago, I remember reading an editorial in the Boston Globe the week before Thanksgiving. And the editorial was about why Thanksgiving was the best of holidays. Because it was not a religious holiday. And it was free, for the most part, of the consumerism and participation in the consumer corporate culture that so runs Christmas. And I used to think that. For a long time, Thanksgiving's been a favorite of mine, too, and it was because everybody seemed to celebrate it. But it really is a religious holiday. And not just because giving thanks and being aware of blessing is part of human religiousness, regardless, it seems, of the particular tradition. It's a religious holiday because it really is part of the American civil religion. In fact, it is a ritual reenactment of our myth and founding story. And like all myths, The story is the important thing and what it means and not necessarily the truth or facts behind it. The scholar of religion, Mircea Eliade, says Thanksgiving is a perfect example of the ritual reenactment of a religion's origin myth. It tells the history and the deeds of the founders, the gods, the supernaturals. It is considered to be true. It tells how an institution came into existence. In performing the ritual associated with the myth, people actually experience the knowledge of the origin and thus claim, in a very real sense, their patriarchy. Thus one lives out the myth as the religion. And this perfectly fits our Thanksgiving story. The American mythic religion is one of pilgrims, and revolution, and constitution, and the 4th of July, all built on Plymouth Rock. And yet, even though it's the myth we reenact, it is a myth. The fifth grade version of the story, the pilgrims sitting down with the Indians across card tables, everybody having a great feast, then going out to recess to play together. It didn't happen that way. The pilgrims never called themselves pilgrims. They called themselves Puritans. They were separatists from the Church of England. It was much too high church for them. And they didn't set out to found America. They just set out to get away. They didn't land at Plymouth. They landed in Provincetown, a place where about 15 years earlier, a French explorer landed and decided not to try and start a colony because it was already too full of people. And yet barely 15 years later, these folks from England show up and they land at Provincetown and there's not really too many people around and they decide to keep going and they land in what's now called Plymouth. (coughs) The native peoples, the Wampanoag, their name means people of the first light, Dawnlanders. The Wampanoag were gone. The town they called Patuxet was a ghost town. 
It was filled with the remains of people, empty houses, roads no one used. The pilgrims didn't need to clear land. Fields were already there, a little bit overgrown. You see, they had all... They'd all died. They all got sick from contact with the white people who had been showing up for decades before that, fishing off the coast, coming ashore, not sticking around. But they left behind smallpox and flu and viral meningitis. And so when the English showed up, the Wampanoag were mostly gone. Patuxet was empty. Massasoit, the the chief of the the few remaining people, a smaller tribe, had a lot of interest in making alliance with these strange foreigners, people the Wampanoag considered dirty and ignorant. They didn't know how to find food or grow food. They smelled. They didn't believe in bathing all the time. But he needed to control inland trade, which he used to control with the native groups further inland in Massachusetts. So he made an alliance with these folks. And that first Thanksgiving was a little bit of a shared event. It happened in some way. But a lot of it was you know, a state dinner negotiating rather than, hey, everybody, let's give thanks for the harvest together which is the fifth grade version of the story. And like Robert Fulgham mentions, you know, Indians don't celebrate Thanksgiving a lot as such. Once was enough. It's been a trail of broken treaties and not enough to eat literally ever since. On the 350th anniversary of the landing at Plymouth Rock, which doesn't exist, by the way, it was made up by a descendant years and years later, and it's moved from one place to close to the shore to back again. On the 300th anniversary, 350th anniversary of Plymouth, the town fathers decided to hold a big anniversary celebration. They invited Frank James, his native name is Wumsutta, to give an address as part of this. And he submitted his remarks. And he wrote kind of what I just told you, and he was uninvited to participate. And so they held a protest up on Coles Hill overlooking the village. And every year since then, there's been a protest on Coles Hill called the National Day of Mourning, the beginning of the genocide. People have always celebrated Thanksgivings. Harvest festivals go back to the dawn of humanity. Samhain's a harvest festival. Sukkot, the festival of booths in the Jewish tradition, was originally a harvest festival. Christian Eucharist, from which we derive communion. Eucharisto actually means thanksgiving, to give thanks. It's part of human religiousness as long as there's been human religiousness, giving thanks. It's a good thing to do. And I love that Unitarian Universalism allows it to be a religious holiday but one that takes into account the real history, not just the myth, and that it's okay. It wasn't a great history at times, but we we can know and own it as real, that it was partly full of injustice, injustice that kind of still continues with our native populations. 
It's important for us to give thanks, but it's important for us to give thanks with a real knowledge of the myths that underlie our celebrations. The events of this week point out once again how incredibly important it is to know the stories behind the myths. In Beirut, more bombing and killing. The Middle East, people have been killing each other over that piece of land for thousands of years. Their religious traditions have become the foundation of most of ours. You can read in the Psalms, lament, God save us from the destruction, heal us, give us hope. And those same Psalms will tell you about vengeance on our enemies and God be with us in that. We've got to own both sides. We've got to own that thanksgiving as we celebrate the fifth grade version was the beginning of genocide. Scholars used to think North America was a sparsely populated area when the white Europeans arrived, but it wasn't. It was a thriving, in some ways, much more healthy set of civilizations than existed in Europe. But it was wiped out by disease which led scholars for a long time to underestimate the population that was actually here when the white Europeans showed up. We need to own this, not not for white guilt or liberal guilt, but because if we don't understand the myths under the stories, we perpetuate them in ways we don't intend to do. In many ways, it's the foundation of the problems that still plague us with racism and sexism, and homophobia, and making the other an other over here. Bloodthirsty savages. Not ISIS, who staged terror attacks in Paris. The bloodthirsty savages are what native peoples are called in the Constitution. They made out better than African Americans who only counted as three-fifths of a person. We inherit this. And when we don't name it and we don't bring it up front, we allow the myth it has created that some people are better than other people because of who they are, what they look like, what religion they are, what language they speak, to continue. And it allows us to look at Islam as terrorists. Islam is not a religion of terrorists. There happen to be some current terrorists who call themselves Muslims. Just like there were a bunch of English terrorists who called themselves Christians. And wrote with thanksgiving about how God was wiping out these people to give us this land. In France, there are a lot of disaffected young Muslim men because they feel like they haven't been truly included or accepted into French life. They're tolerated. I don't like tolerance. Tolerance is a least common denominator. It allows something we don't like or we consider evil for a greater good. When we own our myths and our history, we have to get past tolerance to really creating that beloved community that's built on respect and equality. 
liberté, fraternité, equalité. That's what the events of this week call us to do. It is why at the meeting I attended yesterday in Milford, it was discouraging but not unsurprising to hear that race and class are playing into issues of putting public transportation into Milford. Why? The myth of Plymouth Rock. That it becomes okay for a greater good to mythologize our story, to make us the people we want to see ourselves as, instead of what really happened. What can happen in Paris can happen everywhere. The world has come to a time in its history where we have to realize it's not okay to perpetuate the myths, but to own the history and work at making it better. The real promise of liberty and justice for all, and that all will mean all. And so today, I invite us to give thanks together for our history because we pick up some good parts of history from our Puritan ancestors. Our style of worship this morning is based on them. And the idea of democracy from the Mayflower Compact and the Constitution, we owe to them. Good things. But we're still working at getting past the parts they had trouble with too. And the native peoples of this land gave us plenty and an approach to spirituality that brings in earth-centered tradition, which is part of our tradition here too as Unitarian Universalists. Let's give thanks for all of it. But owning the history and using all that history, not to mythologize it, but to inspire us to continue to create the ideals that it gave us and diminish the difficulties it has given us as an inheritance. In that spirit, I want to invite you all to join me around the table to share a thanksgiving, a communion, a community where we give thanks for our blessings and at the same time we pledge to create beloved community. We have before us cider and cornbread in anticipation of a thanksgiving feast to come, a giving thanks, a knowledgeable giving thanks with a commitment to create a better future. Cider and cornbread communion brings together the two sides of the story we, we just talked about. I come from Lemonster, Massachusetts, the birthplace of Johnny Appleseed, who has a lot of myths surrounding him too, but we'll go with some of that for right now. Apples were brought by the Europeans to the Americas. And they were a staple food. They were relatively easy to grow. And they gave fruit and drink, which could be turned into alcohol, which didn't spoil, which was safe, believe it or not, just, not just to get intoxicated, but to have healthy stuff to drink that wouldn't make you sick. So the apples come from our European half. Corn is native to the Americas. There was no corn in Europe before contact with the Americas. And the native peoples grew it and knew how to combine it with beans and squash 
to grow it more easily. They couldn't understand why the pilgrims didn't know how to do this. But they didn't have corn in England. But the corn comes from them. And the ties to the earth and community that was part of their spirituality. We bring them together in a Thanksgiving where we own our history and we pledge to make it better. Begin the meal with grace. The words are from John O'Donohue. Let us become aware of the memory carried inside this food before us. The quiver of the seed awakening in the earth, unfolding in a trust of roots and slender stems of growth. On its voyage toward harvest, the kiss of rain and surge of sun, nourished by the earth to become today our food, the work of all the strangers whose hands prepared it, the privilege of wealth and health that enables us to feast and to celebrate and to promise to create a better community. I invite all of you to take a piece of cornbread and cider And like at my grandmother's table, as probably your grandmother too, we're going to wait till everyone is served before we eat. So I invite everybody to come and... to eat and drink this cider and cornbread communion, let us remember to place the things which nourish us at the center of our lives where they belong. Kindness, compassion, service, friendship, beauty, music, joy, reference, above all, gratitude. These are the things that sustain us. May we all keep working in gratitude and for the sake of the future until all the peoples of the world can sit at the welcome table to partake in these things of abundance. Amen.